0: SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Chapter 14 The timing was perfect. 4.30 p.m. Not more than 15 minutes after his regular arrival time from school, but as Sam pulled into the driveway and shut off the engine of his Jeep, he saw Aunt Marion stepping out of the front door to greet him. That was not normal. Sam tried to flush his mind of Richard, JPL, and his earth-shaking discovery. He would have to concentrate on dealing with his aunt. He knew by the look on her face that he was in trouble. Sam pulled his book bag from the back seat and walked towards Marion, clearing his throat. Marion waited for him to approach. Her hands were on him now. That meant big trouble. Then she folded her arms Even bigger trouble. I got a call from school today, she said caustically. Make this a good one, Sam. Where have you been? He slouched, trying to gain courage to once again tell her the hard truth. Well, I didn't go to school. I know. So where were you? Sam rocked back and forth from one foot to the other. Would you believe L.A.? Marion's eyes widened. Los Angeles? What were you doing in L.A. when you should have been in school? I had somewhere to go. And where was that? Pasadena, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Marion stiffened. Questions flashed through her mind. Why did he go there? Did this have anything to do with his father? What? You're building a rocket now? Just listening for planets isn't enough? Or are you planning a trip to Mars or Pluto with their help? Maybe a little farther out than a planet in the solar system, Sam said. Sam, you're going to have to pay more attention to your schoolwork and less attention to your wires or space signals or whatever you do up in your room. I'll pull the plug myself if I have to, she shook her finger at him. He didn't like that. His face tensed. Marion realized the finger-pointing wasn't appreciated and put her hand down. It's very important to me, Aunt Marion. I know, Sam, but I can't have the school calling me all the time, asking me where you are. Am I right? You're right, Sam glanced toward the street and watched several cars pass the house. I'll try to concentrate on my schoolwork more. Marion put her hand in his. He liked the feeling. It was comforting and reassuring, and he desperately needed that at the moment. For me, Sam, do your homework. Do your schoolwork. For me. Sam stuck his key into the lock of his room above the garage. He was alone again in his domain, where he had absolute control. Closing the door behind him, he threw his book bag over his bed and, towards his desk, but he missed. The heavy book bag slid across the desk and into a small bookcase. An entire row of reference books flew in all directions. Then the bookcase, top-heavy with the remaining books, tipped over, and Sam's book bag fell onto the scattered reference books. The loud crash made Sam jump. His nerves were on edge, "'He was anxious and unsure about his morning trip, "'his aunt's pressure and the sound of the signal "'constantly bouncing around in his mind. "'Oh, God, what next?' Sam asked, exasperated. "'The orange late afternoon sun filtered in through a large window "'next to his long equipment stack. "'He approached the window and stared first the passing traffic then over the rooftops of the houses across the street in the distance he could see the faint outline of the foothills surrounding the nearby Enza Borrego Desert State Park his lips curled upward and his tense face softened and he relaxed a bit he closed his eyes it began to weaken as the excitement of his visit and the long drive began to take their toll "'A few minutes,' he thought. "'He turned away from the window and stumbled to his bed. "'I'll lie down just for a few minutes.' "'Sam sat on the edge of his bed, pulled off his shoes, his eyes already closed. "'He could still feel the warmth of the sun on his face as sleep crept upon him. "'He swung his legs over the side of the bed, stretched out.' and nestled his head on his foam-rubber pillow. As if he were falling in slow motion of a golden mountain into a velvet-blue abyss, he drifted deeper and deeper into sleep. His descent was slowed only momentarily by the pop and crack of the stucco exterior of the garage, expanding in the heat of the day. He then let go. Shadows lengthened, light became dark, only the sound of the signal remained on the top of his consciousness. It was known as the candy store. To amateur radio operators, however, the treats were not pralines or truffles or buttercreams covered with thick, rich milk chocolate. It was the new radio equipment that excited the amateur radio operator. The retail equipment store known as Henry Radio was crammed with sophisticated receivers, transmitters, meters, microphones, handheld radios, computers, and accessories. While other people might spend hours in Macy's or Saks Fifth Avenue, hams could spend hours playing with the equipment and arguing about which rig was better for a particular application. The latest high-tech, state-of-the-art models lined the shelves, and mock-up ham workbenches. All the prices listed sales prices. Several rows of shelves contained hundreds of switches and plugs and cables. Henry's had everything conceivable. Switches or plugs, whatever people wanted for the do-it-yourselfer. Beyond the amateur radio section were the latest television and audio components displayed in their own electronic gadgetry heaven. Henry's was a store that, to the chagrin of the proprietors, at times had more lookers than buyers. It was part of the game. Amateur radio operators were among the small group of consumers in the United States who carefully read specification lists on equipment. Richard Redden walked through the double doors and stopped just inside the store entrance. He scanned the room and a strange-looking group of people shopping there. He thought that in terms of appearance and dress and manner, the clientele resembled the techies who populated JPL, another group of dedicated-to-the-cause types. He moved into the store, inspecting carefully the arranged equipment and the customers hunched over the counters. A myriad of radio noises ricocheted off the walls and reverberated through the room. To the untrained ear, it was just noise. Confusing, meaningless radio noise. Richard paying no attention to the noise or to his surroundings. A scrawny young salesman was stocking a nearby rack of cable fittings. Richard noticed his plastic shirt pocket protector with the logo of an electronic component supplier emblazoned on the flap. He smirked at the sight and thought, how typical. The salesman looked up as Richard approached him. Yes, sir, can I help you find something? Richard looked around, then down at the young man. Yeah, uh, where would you find a directory of ham radio operators, you know, with their addresses and phone numbers and such? The salesman stood... To the far corner of the store back rack third shelf over on the bottom it's called amateur radio call book it contains the names calls and addresses but not the phone richard turned away before the salesman could finish his sentence what a rude son of a bitch the salesman thought richard immediately saw the thick directory on the bottom shelf he bent over and picked it up then he saw the problem. The directory was divided into call areas, into zones, numbered to correspond to different sections of the country. Richard looked over at a man who was thumbing through a computer programming guide. Say, do you know what call area California is in? The man looked up, surprised. Six. We're in call area six. Are you going for your novice ticket? You better know that before you take your test, buddy. Richard ignored the man. He turned to the Area 6 section and thumbed through it until he found the page he needed. He ran his thumb along the line of names until he stopped on the listing he wanted. Sam Alexander, 6607 Mountain View Road, Escondido, California. Call sign K6ZDQ. Richard looked over his shoulder, then gently and quietly as possible, tore out the page containing Sam's name out of the book. He folded the sheet quickly and stuffed it into his pocket. In a sing-song voice, he said softly to himself, "'I know where you live.'